0: Warning, The Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. I know I'm not supposed to be cheerful, it's all gloom and doom these days, but... Uh...
1: I'm not gonna go there. I am not going to let the panic take hold in my brain. I wanna say two things right now. There are two epidemics at the moment. The virus epidemic itself, and then there's the epidemic of panic. And I'm not in the camp of panicking, nor am I in the camp of saying there's nothing wrong here. We have to be realistic, and we're gonna talk about that. And I wanna be clear right at the outset, in case you are fuzzy as to what my position is, since I'm known to know a lot about this, I want to be very clear. In my opinion, President Trump has done everything right so far on this virus. He tried the travel ban. He wanted the cruise ship passengers quarantined. As the leader of the free world, he has an obligation to try to stem the panic, which is also at epidemic proportions. I'm Michael Savage, and I prove of my own words. Now, the show today is a three-part show. We're going to talk about the two epidemics, the virus epidemic and the epidemic of panic. We're going to talk about the glue horse versus the stalking horse. I'll let you figure out who the glue horse is and who the stalking horse is. And then we're going to talk about the American dream is alive with a very, very special guest at the bottom of the hour. I think those of you who follow me on Twitter or my website, michaelsavage.com, can pretty much guess who will be the guest at the bottom of the hour. And if you don't know who it is, go to the go to the Drudge Report and you will see the guest's picture on the top left uh, holding a can of a beverage. Now, the headline on the Drudge Report is alarming. Seventy, cent, 70, I almost said 70 cents. Seventy <laughs> percent will be infected. Now, who is he quoting? That's Angela Merkel, was warning that 70 percent of Germans could get the coronavirus Could be infected. Uh, Well, could be, will be, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think she's taking a very, very extremist position. On the other hand, as a leader of a nation, she has to take a position which she thinks is uh, protective of the population, right? Now, Merkel, who is a globalist, has been widely criticized in her own country Even the German daily, the Bild, B-I-L-D, has assailed her handling of the outbreak, which uh, they said is, quote, the corona chaos. The news outlet wrote, no appearances, no speech, no leadership in the crisis. Now, there's only 1,300 infections thus far in Germany, but two deaths. I am appalled at the talkers who are ignorant of epidemiology, ignorant of the truth, and misleading the public who have the nerve to say it's only killing the old what an insult that is to the elderly of america and the world what a grotesque insult that is to the elderly of the world to say it's only killing the killing the elderly and it's coming out of the mouths of very sick elderly in the media no less that's the funny part two of the sickest people in the media themselves are saying don't worry about it's only killing the elderly it's astounding to me how blind people can be but i'm not here to criticize i'm here to try to articulate what i think needs to be talked about and so we can go to the election the glue horse versus the stalking horse we all know the jokes about biden he's this he's that he's illiterate excuse me cena he's screwing up a little bit he's showing signs of prescenial dementia i don't think i don't think he's crazy i don't think he's there yet uh on the other hand you have uh the stalking horse the fuming communist who won't quit and they want him to quit And I wouldn't be shocked if he's not touched by the umbrella. Again, I'm going to let that hang in the air. You have to know uh, spy movies to know what I'm talking about. Because the entire Democrat establishment wants the naked communist to go away. The entire Democrat establishment wants the naked communist to disappear. The entire Democrat establishment wants the hateful, vile, naked communist to shut up and stop attacking Uh, Biden as he did today. Bernie Sanders, the vile Bernie Sanders, gave a speech today that was shocking in a way. I actually thought he might concede and say I'm backing Biden because the party elders know that that's the only chance they have uh, to uh, go into this election with. But he didn't do that. Instead, this man got up there and attacked Biden in a strange way, more viciously than Donald Trump could. He went on and on and on about what he's going to do during the so-called debate on Sunday night, and he actually laid out the questions that he is going to ask uh, uh, Biden. Without understanding, he's not the moderator. I mean, he's such an egomaniac right now, the uh, naked communist by uh, Sanders, that he said, "Here are the questions I'm going to say, Joe. What are you going to do to end the absurdity of United States of America being the only major country where health care? Blah, blah, and then he went on young people, higher education. So he was again pushing the same talking points." Again, more people in jail than in communist China. Again, uh, the absurdity of billionaires buying elections when he himself, of course, flies private and is now a multimillionaire. It's the same old story, the same story that will sink the Democrats' chances of winning, which is class warfare, uh, religious warfare, and every other warfare that you can possibly think of. You can't give free education to everyone. You can't give free health care to everyone on the planet. You're not going to end money in politics in the United States of America ever. And yet this man is going to continue to hammer Biden on that on Sunday night. So what are the odds that there is no debate Sunday night? What are the odds that the glue horse versus the stalking horse debate, which is widely anticipated to occur Sunday night, doesn't occur at all? Now, a while back, I had predicted that the Democrat establishment would not let this man the naked communist cross the finish line if you want. Did you remember when I said that? Um, I haven't changed my opinion at all. Now, I noticed something happened approximately four weeks ago when I heard that Obama, who is really the godfather of the Democrat Party, make no mistake about it if you want to say the godfather, that's him. He is the Pezzo Navante of the Democrat Party, to put it in uh, in filmic terms. When Obama came out after remaining rather silent on the sidelines for a long time, when he came out about four weeks ago and he said, our party has moved too far to the left, we better cool it, we better get back to the center if we hope to win. What do you think he was doing that for? Well, okay, always self-interest. You always plug self-interest into the equation. Mr. and Mrs. Obama are now probably worth a billion dollars. The $100 million book deal before he left the noted hundred million dollar netflix deal that we know about we don't know what other deals they've done but if you look at the deals they've done he's done very well indeed the obamas came to the white house to do good and they did very well indeed uh, as the missionaries did when they went to hawaii they came to hawaii to do good and they did very well indeed they wound up owning 80 percent of the land which their uh, descendants uh, still sit on So the Obamas are now very wealthy. Whatever the number is, who knows what it is? 500 million to 1.5 billion. Could we ever know? They do not want their fortune diminished in any way by a maniac like Sanders who would, quote, tax the rich. So he came out and said, we don't want anyone to tax the rich because they didn't finish the sentence because we're rich. So what does Biden represent? Is he as far left as you think he is? Is he as big a threat as we know Sanders is? Biden is noted as a centrist, but he's actually pretty far to the left on most issues. However, Biden presents a middling image. Biden does not present like a fuming, foaming commie. Sanders can't help himself because that's what he is. Sanders is what he is. He's a soapbox communist uh, of the type that used to be laughed at in Washington Square Park when I was a kid. We had plenty of communists on soapboxes screaming about the revolution and revolution after revolution. Uh, Tax the rich, do this, bring down their capital. We know the type. So now the guy is on the world stage. And instead of toning himself down, he doubles down. And what he's doing by doubling down is appealing to his base. And I don't have to reiterate who the base is. We all know who the base is. But he can't break out of that small demographic. And it's rather small. He's never going to get the moderates. He's never going to get any Republicans to cross over to him. The only one who could possibly do that is schleppy old Joe. Old Joe. And by the way, the kind of stumbling, the bumbling, the forgetfulness is almost seen as somewhat appealing to many people because it's non-threatening. And that is Biden's most uh, strongest appeal is the fact that he's not really threatening. Have you noticed he doesn't really yell and scream? Yes, he said the S word to an auto worker, But that's too small an issue. Biden is now looking like sort of a calming, steadying sail in a world of turmoil. The flaming, fuming, spitting communist, on the other hand, is seen for what he is. I would say the odds are very high that there is no debate Sunday night. Whether it's through the Democrat apparatus saying it's over and Biden's the uh, nominee, or we're going to go right to that, the convention with him, or the umbrella touch. The savage nation, it's savage on demand. Listen to me. This is less of an ad and more of a public service announcement from our friends at My Patriot Supply. You've heard me talk about them for a while now, right? Well, this week we woke up to the sudden spike in virus cases. In Italy and the market lost 3% of its value all overnight. The warning signs were there for about the last month and then this thing exploded. My Patriot Supply has been flooded with orders from listeners and now they can barely keep up with demand. Would you please go to preparewithsavage.com and reserve your two-week emergency food kit right now. Preparewithsavage.com to get online. Normally they can ship in two days, but as of today... They're projecting a wait of at least two weeks or more. Please be patient, but please be vigilant. I'm telling you, go to preparewithsavage.com and reserve your two-week supply of emergency food right now. These meals will include breakfast, lunch, and dinner and last up to 25 years in storage. My Patriot Supply is still honoring their 45% off special and will ship as fast as they can. Time is running out to prepare don't expect the government to give you a warning or you'll face the prospect of empty shelves. That's real. Would you please listen to me? Preparewithsavage.com now. Preparewithsavage.com. The warning signs are there. The flood of orders is there. Get online now. Go to preparewithsavage.com. You will thank me in the long run. This is a public service announcement in a way from my friends at My Patriot Supply. And all you got to do is go to preparewithsavage.com. You know uh, things happen to people the good the bad and the ugly in your life don't expect a a clean run one day you're knocked down on your behind the next day you're standing up again and you're wobbling you're on your wobbly feet and then if eventually your feet work again and you start to walk again you get knocked down again that's life but there are good days too and for me this is a very good day and I'm sorry some of you are not doing well I'm sorry that we're living in such fear which is what America's the world now wrapped up in a fear of everything, fear of the disease, and I understand it. You've got to find the middle ground. Now we're worried about the election, but for me, the American dream is still alive. I have children, and one of them created a product on his own, saving his money, working hard. I mean, he worked in Burger King. I've told the story before when he was fourteen, and his friends were playing because my father made me work real hard. He was an immigrant, my dad. I hated working, but I had to work, and I learned to love work. So I said to my son, Russ, you're going to you're gonna have to take a job. <laughs> I don't mean leave school. I want you to learn the value of a dollar. So the only job available to him at the time was working in Burger King, and it was in a uh, largely immigrant area, and he had to take a bus to get there. We didn't drive him in a Land Rover. We weren't soccer moms, soccer parents. He took a bus. He did the job. He didn't complain about it. He's a great guy. Then he took other jobs, went to college, came out, worked hard, worked in college. And I don't want to tell his story, but it's the American dream. And anyone who's listening to the show who is young and is dreaming of making a fortune based on hard work and, and such and a good product, uh, anyone who is older and has children and has hope for their children is going to want to hear the interview of me and my son because it's probably going to be the best interview I've ever done in my life. Can it get any better than that? Can it get any better than me interviewing my own son and us reminiscing together? Because we didn't prepare it. We didn't script it. I'm not so sure where it's going to go. I do know that it's a remarkable day in our lives, the whole family. The American dream is what it's about. The American dream is still alive. And if you don't know what the story is about... You can see the story on the Drudge Report on the top left. And, of course, where it goes from here is anyone's guess. I don't know what his future, what he wants to do. He's always loved politics. He once ran as a Republican assemblyman in Marin County, the most liberal county in California. It was a brutal, horrible thing to watch, the viciousness of the Democrats and the left. It was so horrible to see what they did to smear him. Uh, as I've been smeared for 26 years by the same elements in this society. They're merciless. And so I would recommend to him, he's his own man, do not go into politics, please. Please do not go into politics is what I would say. It's a blood sport. It's a dirty sport. It's not a place for a a man who prizes his privacy or his uh, integrity. It'll ruin anybody who goes into it. But then again, I'm kind of... uh, you know saying too much before the interview so we're going to talk about that the american dream is still alive and you know we found an interesting soundbite for maybe hour two robert borowski has been with the show since 2014. do you remember back in 2013 or 2014 it was robert was it 2013 or 14. Uh, I, i was on my son's boat when it docked in new york harbor he brought it up just for me and i put on a little cocktail party for my publishers editors my radio friends at Cumulus. And I did a little speech of a five minutes long called An Immigrant Son Returns to Ellis Island. And what it was about was I stood on the deck of that ship as it was docked on the west side, somewhere near the Chelsea Piers in mid- Midtown, and you could see uh, the Statue of Liberty from that ship that I was on. And as I gave the talk, after a couple of vodkas, I don't drink vodka anymore, but at that time I was drinking pretty good vodka. Now it's uh, just meek white, white wine, which is good. Not bad. No hangovers. Found one that doesn't have the uh, garbage in it. I stood there and I said to the audience of people, maybe a hundred people, I said, if you look through the back of the ship, you can see the Statue of Liberty where my grandfather and my father landed. They landed here. They're immigrants. My father was an immigrant to this country. Never forget that. And... uh now we have the grandson, and my grands- the grandson's ship came sailing in, and I was on. It wasn't my ship, it was his ship. He outdid me. You know that that's every father's dream, is to have a son who outdoes him. Do you know that? It's just a funny thing, you know, that that's another dynamic that I've never really talked about, what it's like to have a son who's more successful than you are. Do you know what that's like? Now, I'm pretty successful. I've achieved an awful lot in my life. Best-selling books, remarkable radio show, National Radio Hall of Fame. It's all good. But my son outdid me in the world of commerce. And so what I'm saying to you is many people have children who disappoint them. That's the norm, incidentally, especially in our day and age. Do you know what it's like to have a child who doesn't disappoint you, but outdoes you? Have you thought about that? I'll be right back to talk about that, as well as the glue horse versus the stalking horse and the two epidemics, the virus epidemic and the epidemic of panic, right here on the Savage Nation. Michael Savage, a host like no other. You know, here's a good ad coming up. I hope I never need it, but have you ever thought about what happened if a medical emergency arises when you're far away from home? Are you prepared? Well, you'll say it'll never happen to me, but it can when you least expect it, especially in these times. What happens if a medical emergency occurs and you're out of the country or out of the state? There's AirMedCare network may need to take you to the nearest hospital. And if you're a member, you'll see no out-of-pocket costs related to your flight. AirMedCare you won't pay a dime when transported by an air MedCare provider that's amcn provider that's right you won't pay a dime when transported by an air MedCare provider now you should know this health insurance may not cover the full cost of emergency medical transport no and even with comprehensive coverage you could still get hit with substantial deductibles and co-pays if you need to be transported by a plane Please sign up for an AirMedCare Network membership. AMCN is the largest air ambulance membership network with more than 3 million members. It costs as little as $85 for your entire household and protects you whether you're at home or traveling. I'm also a member of AMCN. You ought to be. Let me ask you now, for $85, can you afford not to have this? And here's the deal. Right now, as part of the savage nation, You'll get up to a fifty dollars gift card when you join AMCN. Just go to the special website, Network dot com slash savage, and please use co- and please use code savage. I'll repeat it again: Network dot com slash savage, and then use the code savage. Once again, you may need this. You'll thank me. Network dot com slash savage, and then. Plug in Code Savage. You'll thank me. As you know, it's a very special day for me, where I wrote today on Twitter and on my website, The American Dream is still alive. Incidentally, and you don't know this, and I don't know if I should say it before my son comes on the air right now to tell his story, I had a call from a certain President Trump 30 minutes before the show about a number of things, including congratulations for this thing. Mr. Russ, welcome to the Savage Nation. Thank you so much.
2: Hey, Dad, how you doing?
1: (laughs) Love it, love it. This is quite a novelty for me to hear, hey, Dad, on my radio show. As you know, I have not mentioned your product in in these 19 years, maybe once or twice. And, And it's been hard for me to separate your life from mine. But I feel now... It's your day to shine, and I know how hard you've worked. How many years has it been since you started this company, Russ?
2: Well, let me give you an analogy of what I think this deal is like. I, mean, I don't know if there's a lot of baseball fans or not on your show, but if you were in the World Series in Game 7, down by three in the bottom of the ninth, with three balls and two strikes, and you hit a grand slam to win it, that's pretty much what this deal is.
1: Wh- wh- why were you down? I mean, what, what do you mean by that?
2: I'm just saying it's the biggest deal if you can imagine, to get something done and accomplished in a volatile stock market environment and, you know, with the uncertainties of the world, that the company that we are working with had the faith in our brand and knew how big it's going to be around the world that they...
1: Oh, well, of course, now they're going to blow it up in countries you couldn't really work in. Correct. Uh, uh, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. And, and, you know, it's interesting that I've read that in times of, of, na- of international, national doubt and fear... The the sale of uh, of products with uh, caffeine stimulants goes up. It actually goes up. Well, that's good. Well, <laughs> uh, and by the way, you know what else worked during the Great Depression? Mo- movie theaters were packed. You can't you can't see that now because of the virus. But people w- go to entertainment. So you know, Netflix stocks and things like things like that will probably uh, boom. But I want to talk about your American Dream. How long ago did you actually start this product, Russ?
2: Uh, I launched in January 2001 in San Francisco, and it was after trying 700 different formulas. And <laughs> it was just a long process. I took my time with it because it was, you know, it was just a novelty at the time. It was just a dream. I didn't know it would ever work. I started with $50,000 that I saved up, as you know. And, you know, you're well, awesome.
1: I, I Tell the audience what you mean by saved up $50,000. And we're talking about almost 20 years ago, which would say it's double that. How did you save that money? By what?
2: Well, I worked really hard. Believe it or not, when I was in my 20s, I worked in the student travel business. I used to bring students down to Mexico and into Hawaii and on ski trips on trips. And I saved up all my money in my 20s. Hmm. And I bought a condo in Northern California in Sausalito. And then I was able to mortgage that because I said to myself, look, I have a great idea. And if it doesn't work, I could always try something else. I was young. Well, well, you
1: know, I'm the family pessimist, I'm, I'm always saying something won't work. I'm known as the family pessimist. I remember when you started, you had this broken old stretch limousine. It was so unbelievable. And you put Rockstar on the side, and you were driving around with it. And it w- I, I don't know what was happening, but I said, it's never going to work. Remember when you started with the 16-ounce can? Tell them that story, because I said that wouldn't work.
2: Yeah, so in terms of the limo story, it's great, because my my dream was to have limos driving around every city, like Holly in Hollywood, San Francisco, New York, giving out cans of Rockstar in front of nightclubs. So... We started in San Francisco. I bought an old limo with, I think, 450,000 miles on it. It was almost blowing up, and we put the Rockstar gold letters on the side, and we would drive it up to clubs, and we would
1: give out Rockstar. and <laughs> that, that was what? An old 450,000 miles? <laughs> God, old, that, was like, that was like the Tehran special.
2: A stretch town car. Yeah, it was an old black stretch town car. But, you know, when you're young, you don't care. Anything's fun, it doesn't
1: matter. It was just. Right, was right. Just but stuff. I remember, Russ, I remember in the beginning you were trying to find a manufacturer to put a 16 ounce can out, and there were none, right?
2: Nobody would do it because at the time, the only products that were in 16 ounce cans were beer cans. And if you put soda in a beer can line at a manufacturing facility, the sugar in the ingredients would. Corrode their lines and wreck their
1: lines how do you, Remember you kept looking for someone to make it You kept saying I'm going to launch a 16 ounce drink It's going to be twice the drink that the competitors have And it's going to take off But you, went, you were banging your head against the stone wall And I said to you, Russ, please give up No one's going to do it It's sad to see you killing yourself like this Of course I was negative You know me already by now Because of my immigrant background I always have a negative, pessimistic view of the world How, how did you finally find someone to, to make that can?
2: Well, first of all, you always taught me never to give up, so that the part, of, part of your story is true, but the other part that everyone needs to know is that you always told me to keep going and follow my dreams, and you built confidence in me from a young age, and that's, that is a true story. You know, it, you know, I don't know if the audience knows, but you remember, and I still remember as a kid, you took me to the zoo and put me in front of the lion and let the lion roar at me so I wouldn't be afraid of anybody.
1: Mm, God, I remember that. It was in Honolulu. Do you remember me taking you in the back of the valley and saying the Indian phrases, look to the mountaintop?
2: Yeah, you used to walk me on little cliffs over a stream in the, with the roaring water below, as I remember. And you built confidence in me. Everything I did, you always took my side no matter what. And that's, you know, people need to know that about you as harsh as you can be on the radio at times. Hmm. People need to know that you were a devoted father to me, and you always had my back no matter what, and you always were positive, and you never hurt me or you never, you know, anyone that tried to screw with me, you took my side no matter what, forever, mm. my whole life.
1: Wow, that's beautiful. That's very nice to hear, I gotta tell you. I'm, I'm kind of uh, emotional right now. I don't think I can talk. You better keep talking about your product while I compose myself because uh, this is a big story for you and it's really your day, not mine. But when you think of the family, your grandfather, who you never met, uh, came here as an immigrant. My father was an immigrant. He came here at age 13 from Russia. He died before you were born. Uh, what would he think today if he were alive? I'm sure he would be
2: amazed at how, you know, from his beginning and his father that fled Russia to where I am now. You know, a, a captain of industry, you know, a titan in the beverage industry. However you want to describe it, it's true. These these words are real. I mean, I I now you know have the ability to do anything I want in life and. I have to figure out what that next phase is going to be, but he would be proud of me, obviously. I mean, who wouldn't be proud of their grandson doing? Well, that? he
1: fled. He fled communism. He fled, he fled. socialism of the t- type that Bernie Sanders wants to bring to America, where all hope is killed. A person like you could never, ever exist never. In, a bur- in a burning America. You couldn't even get started today in a burning America, could you?
2: They would have made you get permits to even start a company, and then wouldn't have allowed you to start a company. That's what they do in these countries.
1: That's what Pelosi would do. That's what Bloomberg would do. That's how they think. So do you think that the American dream is still alive or with the growing socialism that we've seen in this country over the last 19 years, regulation and controls, remember Bloomberg with the soda garbage, do you think anyone could still make it in America if they started today, even in a downtime like this? Yes.
2: If they have an idea that people want, there's people making a fortune right now. Look, I'm sure there's people figuring out how yes. to make money with what's going on right now.
1: I mean, yes. Oh, I've studied depressions and I know what people did during depressions who made f- phenomenal fortunes. And I haven't told you about them yet, but no,
2: well, we're not en- we're not going to enter depression. we got to be more positive And I think that this will pass in a few months and people will look back and say, wow, we were basically in mass hysteria, as you call it. And we're going to come out the other side and the world will go on. We're not going to let the world end from, from a flu bug. I think this is going to be short-lived and we'll be able to move forward and be okay. We have to think that way because the alternative is doomsday and we're not
1: going to let ourselves... Well, end. you're an optimist. I have a kind of middling position on this uh, um, epidemic and I think the epidemic is real and I think the epidemic of uh, panic is even more real and we have to find some middle ground. And we have to be very, very cautious. Uh, the president has it. I mean, the president has a job as the commander in chief and the and the leader of the free world. He has a job to try to stem the panic, which is what he's trying to do. I mean, he did everything right so far. He tried the travel ban. He wanted the cruise ship passengers quarantined, and he has an obligation to try to stem the panic. He can't quarantine an entire nation. He can't shut a nation down, can he?
2: Hey, I'm not going to answer that right now because I'd rather talk about. <laughs> This amazing- oh,
1: okay, you're right. I'm sorry. I didn't even want to do politics, but I, can- I was the one who said let's do politics, and here I go doing it. I can't help it. Uh, Rob, let's talk about Rob. the American dream. So you start out with the saved money from all your work in college, and you you mortgage your little condominium, and you try to get 16 ounce can made, and they say no, 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 it can't be done. But you're persevering. You never stop. You find a manufacturer. No. How did you how did how did you get it in the stores? Before I even
2: got into the stores, I found a place in Missouri that would do it for me, this small bottling plant in Missouri. And when we made a small batch, they said, sorry, we just sold our company to Coca-Cola. We're not allowed to make anyone else's product anymore. And so I said, are you kidding me? I made like 2,000 cases of it at the time. So then I was really scrambling, and I found a place in Northern California, believe it or not, in Modesto. It was Modesto 7-Up, the Varney family, a great family in Central California, and they said, yes, we'll make it, but we don't have the you know, the equipment to fill that size. We fill 12-ounce cans, which are shorter. And they said, if you buy the equipment to trans- transition our lines to fill 16-ounce cans, we'll make it for you. And that was almost $50,000. That was all the money I had. And after I had sold the other product that basically was you know, running on fumes, I was able to buy that equipment. I don't even know how or, or how.
1: You had to put the equipment in? I didn't even know that to this day. We, well, I didn't physically. I had to buy it. No, no. I'm saying you had to buy the equipment for them? I didn't know that. Yeah. And as, it, and as we
2: ran out of product, we, the line came on board, and we started filling again. And my first distributor, you know, this is, this, believe me, this, this is a long story, but it's a good story because it's so interesting of how something from a dream can actually become reality. Southern Wine and Spirits was my first distributor in Northern California, and they took it, and they put it in liquor stores around Northern California and it worked with no advertising just simply sitting on the shelf next to red bull at the time we were 16 ounces they were eight ounces it was double the size for the same price rockstar party like a rock star you know it looked fun and people grabbed it and as soon as someone grabs the product off a shelf that's only a few dollars they're going to buy it just to try it and if they like it they'll buy it again so we have basically had overnight success with this brand there was it was magic in a can it worked with no advertising on its own and, you know, the rest of history.
1: When I come back, I hope you have a few more minutes. I know this is a big day for you. I'd love to talk about one element of your product that I think is so important. I remember telling you a story when you were a little boy about my father's store on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and there were Bowery bums laying in the streets, and how my father would say, Michael, look at these people. They're alcoholics, and they're laying in the street, all because of the alcohol. And he said it would cost the manufacturers only a few cents to put B vitamins into the alcoholic drinks and they wouldn't get quite as sick. Tell the audience when we come back, Russ, how that affected your formulation of Rockstar. I'll be right
0: back. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. The American
1: Dream is what we're talking about, something that could never happen in a socialist nation. And a special guest right now is my son, Russ. Russ, welcome back to the program. So... Just before we go, we have only two minutes, and I know there's so much you have to do today. So I remember telling you that story about the alcoholics and how my dad would say to me, you know, if they only put a few cents worth of vitamins in, blah, blah, blah. How did that affect your formulation of RS?
2: Truthfully, I don't know if it affected it at all, but what did affect it is, you know, when you took me with you all over the South Pacific Islands collecting plants for medical research, and I saw you later in life developing products for GNC and Twin Labs, and working in your nutrition practice and trying to make people healthy through natural products. When I launched Rockstar, I looked at what Red Bull had in their ingredients, and they had basically vitamins, amino acids, and caffeine. And I said to myself, what can I make in Rockstar that it's going to give me an advantage where people will buy it? Not only is it going to be double the size for the same price, but the ingredients have to be superior as well. So I added in an herbal blend. Mm. And I basically had that herbal knowledge from you, from you teaching me, so I added in ginkgo, ginseng, milk thistle, and guarana.
1: Wow, that's all because of the, all the uh, nutrition trade shows you would you would go to. We had a lot of fun in those shows. Remember those days?
2: You took me around with you from a little kid. So you basically taught me to be an entrepreneur and a self thinker and a fighter and a winner. And I thank you. Believe me, in a big way, it's true. It's not just a speech. This is real.
1: So it's, you know, it's a topic for another time. And I know time is short for you and for the for the show. All I want to say is Russ. You make me proud.
2: You make me proud so we can mutually love each other. It's fine. We need it today more than ever to be positive and optimistic.
1: You know, the president phoned me 30 minutes before the show about an entirely unrelated subject. And there will be an announcement about that in the next, I would say, two weeks that people are not going to believe. But I brought you up. And you know what he said? He said, I didn't call to talk about him. He said, I called to talk about you, although he's better than you. I didn't call to talk about him. You know, he loves to make jokes. That's why I love President Trump. But he was so thrilled to uh, hear about this. He asked for your number and stuff like that. You know what he said to me? He said, I remember when he came to Mar-a-Lago, when he was first starting, and he told us about his idea for this drink. He remembers everything. You know that he has a photographic memory. He certainly remembered your beginnings. Russ, thanks for being with us. I wish you the greatest success on the sale of Rockstar uh, to Pepsi. All right. God bless you, and God bless the family, and God bless America.
0: The Westwood One Podcast Network. Fans of the Spoken Word, welcome. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times bestselling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Let me begin by reiterating what I have said from day one of this campaign. And that is that Donald Trump is the most dangerous Here president again.
1: in the modern man. history of our you country, filthy, and dirty he must be vermin. defeated. Tragically,
2: we have a president Listen today to who filth. is a pathological liar and corrupt administration. You're
1: was not you, a bum. You? You're not you, creep. What you did he to the college there with your bum wife? The Constitution of the United States. You wipe your dirty mouth with the he Constitution. Is you filthy You a president who is above. The law. What did you do to the college in, view, in Vermont, you filthy you? Racist, and what about a you, sexist, you pig? A
0: homophobe, a xenophobe, anything and a religious else? bigot.
1: Anything else you can think and of? He you must be defeated. Get out of here, yeah. Get the hell out of Get this bum off here. I'd like to, to wipe the floor happen. with him. I'd like to put a broomstick on his foot and turn him into a mop. But let me tell you, I don't have to do that. The Democrat machine is doing a pretty good job of getting rid of this filth. And this vile hatred man. This naked communist is the antithesis of the American dream. You know, in the last hour, I had Russ on, my son, who um, is all over the news. He's about to be bigger than that because a lot of people want him on their TV show. He's not boycotted like I am. He's probably going to be allowed on channels that I can't go on because it's a business story, right? So you'll, you'll be seeing him on various business television shows over the next few days, I think. He could never have created his business had Bernie Sanders been a president at that time. Never. Never forget what I'm saying to you. The the foolish young do not even understand what Bernie Sanders is. In fact, there is a viral video of a young girl crying over the fact that Bernie is being rejected by uh, people and was rejected by people in, in Michigan. I got, I got to play this for you. Clip two, it's very short. Listen to this one.
2: <laughs> like these been- this
0: his oh, whole life. Man, a whole lie. He's Maybe will go out to old. dinner someday with him. That who is? So, remember that restaurant we are we Burning. Remember the restaurant we if ate? If he loses, you're going to be devastated. <laughs> oh, my God. He just wants to help people. Nobody wants to help.
1: Do you hear this? This is a snowflake, a, a college girl, no less, who actually took it hook, line, and sinker. It's astounding to me what, what Adderall does to a human mind. A, a lifetime of Adderall and liberalism yields a girl like this. So she thinks he just wants to help people. She doesn't understand what, a, uh, a man, what the man actually is. I don't want to get negative because it's of no value to you. We have enough negativity out there right now between the corona panic and the actual disease and then the panic on the other side and you don't know which way to turn. If you're a normally tough person, what you're saying is, I'm not going to worry about it. I'll go about my normal life. I don't care. You know, that's a. it's a good attitude in a way not to succumb to panic. On the other hand, it's good to be tough and good to stand apart from the panic. But on the other hand, you know, please take proper precautions. Don't become a Pollyanna that it can't touch you. Because as I have written for a long time now in all of my books and my broadcasts, microbes do not discriminate. Never forget what I said. Microbes do not discriminate discriminate. They don't know that you're tough. They don't know that you're uh, Republican. They don't know that you're a liberal. They don't know that you're a communist. They don't know that you're good. They don't know that you're bad. They don't care. You're nothing but a host to them. So try not to be available to the to the uh, virus out there because it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. As a matter of fact, we still don't even know the long term effects. Incidentally, some people get over it. Some for some it's mild for the elderly. It's it can be lethal. But we don't really know about the recurrence rate. We don't know uh, what the long-term effects are on the immune system. And I want you to know that. Now, I know many of you love the interview with my son. In fact, I've gotten emails from people who know both myself and my son who were very moved by it, as was I. Incidentally, I I choked up at one point. I had to stop talking, which for me is a miracle. But I I just couldn't speak. When, when something came up, because so much flashed through my mind of all those years of him and I and the family and the turmoil and how hard it was. And if you think this was easy, then you're living in a dream world. To begin with, none of us have an easy life. I don't care if you're born into wealth. You do not have an easy life because life is hard, whether it's an emotional difficulty or a physical difficulty or a financial difficulty But as my mother said, rich or poor, it's good to have money. She used to joke like that. We were poor. And I would say, what's the point of money? I was a little on the uh, other side. I didn't care that much about money as a kid. I really didn't. I always wanted to make a living, but I didn't really care that much about money. And she would say, you know, Michael, rich or poor, it's good to have money. That was her joke. That is true. In other words, we're all going to suffer as human beings. That's the nature of humanity is suffering. The Buddhists know it. The wheel of suffering, the wheel of life is suffering. I don't care how rich you are. You are suffering. With doubts, with fears, with insecurities, with uh, failures in your family, failures in your own life, we all suffer. Which is why theology arose, is why religion arose first, and then and then theology, and try to sort out what to do with this difficulty. Where even the rich man suffers, right? So, having said that, you know, when you have a cosmic grasp of you of reality. Sometimes, in a, in, a, in a flash of a mind, you could see an entire 20 years in your whole mind, everything in one second. That's what went on with me during that interview, incidentally. I became speechless for a second because I remembered him as a little boy. I remembered walking him in the back of the valley on the edge of a cliff and saying to him, as the water was rushing underneath us in the wintertime in the back of Marin County, I mean, it was pretty ra- you know, rapid. It wasn't like the Grand Canyon, but if you fell in, you would have known it. And I would say to him, just look ahead. Don't look down. Just look where your feet are. Do not look down. Just walk on the edge of that of that little piece of earth down there, you know. Or when I took him to the zoo, which I forgot about. I remember I had met. I was on a beach in Hawaii, hanging around, schmoozing with people. I always loved to talk to people. I always did. I still do. I don't do it anymore, but I did then. I do it on the radio. Now my audience is here. People are here. I remember there was a guy on the beach who was working out of some kind of martial art. I got to know him. We talked and um russ must have been eight years old at the time and he said to me You're not a you know how to toughen your kid up i said how i don't know who the guy was i think it was a portuguese guy and he said take him to the honolulu zoo stand in front of the lion's cage with him and he said let the lion bellow at him and make and hold his hand don't let him back off make him feel the breath of the lion as the lion roars at him i said what's the point of that the lion has bad breath he said no no come on stop joking he said because if he can learn to stand up to the roar of a lion he's not going to be intimidated by any man that this is within reason you know none of us are bulletproof okay we're all intimidated by other men in in certain circumstances but he's talking about in the normal course of life of events you got to learn to stand up to men who like to shout you down well it worked because i know i can't shout him down <laughs> i've tried it <laughs> And if you think it's all roses, you don't know this family. And this is a a verbal family. We're all very very vocal and we're all very verbal. And we all want to be heard at the same (laughs) time. (laughs) And nothing has changed. Nothing has really changed. But anyway, thanks for uh, listening to this. And if you missed any of that interview, it'll be on the podcast today. I am also having the interview up. transcribed and an mp3 made of it so that we have it for the family i'll also have it for the audience here and there i uh, look i can talk about politics but my head is all over the map right now i mean you want me to talk about bernie sanders you know what i think of him and it does tie into my son's success story today because there would be no success stories with a bernie sanders none whatsoever how do you make a fortune in a communist nation unless you're a criminal i want you to think about that where are all the fortunes where do all the fortunes come out of the Soviet union from crooks those who got into the political world and those who bought their way up and bribed their way into the political world and wound up owning the the mines, the natural resources and selling them out from under the Russian people. That's where the fortunes were made. How, how were the fortunes made? They're made by stealing the natural resources. That's what communism is all about. And that's what Bernie Sanders would bring to this country. The opposite of what you think is what he would uh, precipitate in this nation. Okay. Now we can talk about the epidemic, the American dream, the glue horses versus the stalking horse. I did want to play the uh, Savage Comes Full Circle one when I was on that ship. Maybe we'll do it at 34. That might be a good time. But again, if you missed any of the last hour, it will be replayed uh, in the uh, in the next uh, in the podcast, in the podcast, 855 407 Again, I can't tell you what it is. But the uh, president and I spoke at his behest, not mine, about a totally unrelated topic about 25 to 30 minutes before this show. He's great. I mean, he really, you know, when he talks to you on a phone, it's so it's surreal. It's like when you see the president speak in a news conference and you're just a citizen as I am. Forget him in the media. I'm just a citizen like everyone else. I watch the news. There he is. Right. Then when you hear the there he is guy, the guy who's bigger than life, the most powerful man on the planet speaking to you on your own cell phone like iphone like he's in the room with you and he says michael how are you you know like that and then i I said you're calling me about my son no 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 he said i heard about that i'm calling about you and he said your son is more important but i'm calling (laughs) about you he he loves to play with people that's what i love about donald we're both from queens and now he he yanks my chain (laughs) he knows i got the joke so yeah, no, he's calling about something entirely unrelated, which I can't tell you about. You'll hear read about it soon enough. No, it's not the presidential medal of anything. It's something actually more important because it's an active role in something uh, while I am still on the radio. OK, but I want to take some calls because, you know, you listeners of this show, you the listeners are why I'm here. And in some ways, it's why I'm still here. Why I stay on the radio, despite you want to talk about toughness. You want to talk about overcoming odds? You want to talk about uh, uh, a person who should have left a long time ago, given what he's putting up with right now? Uh, I can't tell you that story for various reasons, but one day this story will be told, and you will not believe what I am overcoming, the impediments I am overcoming right now in order to be on this radio show every day. And believe me, I want to be here, and I'm trying to be here, and I'm doing everything I can to be here, but it's not easy. Don't think it's smooth sailing, because it's not. Okay, 855 282 Let's go to Scott in Wisconsin, I suppose. Scott, welcome to the Savage Nation. What's on your mind?
2: Dr. Savage, congratulations. Amazing interview. I just wanted to comment. Uh, we need somebody like your son in Congress or in the Senate. Uh, when Donald Trump was proposing money for coronavirus, it was $4 billion. Schumer wanted 8 He's, I remember. Number- no, no,
1: it's really sad. And it was, all, it was all pork barrel spending for the Democrats, sickening. They just don't have any concept of what it takes. No, they took an advantage of uh, they took advantage of a, of a virus, and an epidemic in order to cash in on the on, on the garbage. The, 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 no, it's unbelievable. The lying Democrats. He wanted two billion. That was the amount of money actually necessary to deal with this uh, epidemic. They wanted eight. What will they do with the extra six and a half billion dollars or five and a half billion dollars? They're going to put it in their pockets, in the pockets of their families and, and supporters. What do you think? Pelosi's not doing that. And Schumer's not doing that. And every Democrat pig isn't doing that. They are. You're a thousand percent right, Scott. You know, I wonder if he wouldn't want to be a senator. It might not be a bad job.
2: Yourself for four billion dollars. You know, he'd have perspective every time that comes up of what he's doing, and it's American people's money, and they're all killing themselves for that. So but
1: I wonder. I wonder if he shouldn't run for the U.S. Senate. That, that's something that I think he, he should consider. But it's a very rough job. But it'd be a nice thing, Senator. I wanted Senator Colyoni. President Corleone, we'll get there. We'll get there, Pop. Remember that line in The Godfather? I love it. Never forgot it. Uh, Puzo is some writer and Coppola is some director. That's all I can say. And uh, thank God we're in the, uh, in the world we're in. That's all I can say. 855 Tom in California, line five. What's your call about? Go ahead, please.
0: Well, I think you should retell the part of the story where
1: uh, the uh, 14-year-old had to go work down in the canal at the Burger King where he saw the uh, the soda apparatus and decided, I think there's some profit in this. I knew he had learned guarana from you. I knew it. But you might want to retell
2: the part of the story where the work ethic was installed because I think it paid off real well.
1: I'm so happy to hear that you can tell this story now, not worrying about a boycott. I've still got... My last can of Russ made Rockstar, which I might just save. That's very interesting. The last cans of Russ made Rockstar. That's funny. They'll become collector items. You know, some of my early books are selling for five and six hundred dollars on eBay. So you're saying early cans of Rockstar are going to be collectibles. I don't know. You know, the world's a a strange place, Tom. But, you know, your call is very optimistic and you're 100 percent right about the work ethic being instilled in him because it was instilled in me. And I want to thank you for uh, picking up on that key point. Before I take this quick break, I remember, and i got to tell this story again for those of you who don't know. This is an important story for those of you raising kids. Okay, kid in the Bronx, whatever, parents not rich. So I'd read comic books. I love comic books like everyone else. But I didn't know what to do with them at first through reading them. And it bothered me that they, were, they looked good. They were still clean. I, I didn't want to throw them in a the trash can. So my father said, take a crayon put a line through the 10 cents or whatever it was, five cents and mark it down to three cents and then take it down to the street on a little soapbox and sell them in front of the apartment house. And I did. And the kids would come by and they go through the comic books and they would buy them for three cents. And I ran upstairs. and I said, when he came in for work, dad, you were right. I sold the comics for three cents each. I didn't know that you could sell anything that was used. And he said to me, Michael, there's a market for everything in this world. Back in a minute.
0: The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand.
1: You know, coronavirus, the election, the Bernie uh, hatred, the communism. And he doubled down on his communist rhetoric today. He doubled down on his vile hatred of the president today. And he attacked Joe Biden in a way that I don't think any Republican could have ever attacked Joe Biden. Bernie is a slash and burn candidate. And he went after Biden today in his speech. I thought it was going to be a concession speech, saying because Biden won in Michigan, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to throw my full weight behind him, but he didn't. He came out ripping Joe Biden to shreds on the very same talking points that he's been using against Donald Trump, which just shows you what a piece of garbage he actually is. And I will tell you right now, he's not running as an independent. He is running as a Democrat, and the Democrat Party hates Bernie Sanders more than any Republicans do, by the way, and they're going to do him in. They're not going to let him get any closer to destroying uh, Biden than he already has. He will, I don't know that there's going to be a debate Sunday night. I don't know whether they'll call it off or something's going to happen to uh, whatever. I mean, you know, I'm into conspiracies a little bit and I read too many uh, uh, spy novels and I've written a few best-selling books with a little of that element. To me, the umbrella touch is not uh, off the charts. That's all I could say. Bernie, if you're listening, stay out of the rain. Michael Savage, a host like no other. All right, welcome back to the one and only Savage Nation. This is the Savage Graduate School of Political Science, where everyone gets an A. Thank you for joining the uh, program. Uh, What a day this has been for me. I hope that you understand that we can't just do gloom and doom and the Democrats are bad and the liberals are this, the liberals are that. Democrats are bad and Biden is a dopey... If that's what you want to hear, you know what I'm saying. Have a nice day. But uh, <clears throat> there's other things to talk about. And one of the things I'm talking about is what's important in my life. Yes, it's important to me. And this show is about you listening to me. So if it's important to me, I want to share it with you. It only happens once in a lifetime. It's not going to happen yesterday. It's not going to happen tomorrow. So today the announcement was made at 7 o'clock in the morning. And uh, we've been... Believe me, we've been waiting for this for quite a while. This is not didn't come over so smoothly and easily. Things happen. They take time. That's what business is. Everything is... Do you ever watch a... um, uh, What's that bird with the long legs? Uh, not a swan. Uh, not a stalk. I can't think about it right now. The, the big bird that walks in the mud. A st- what are they called? I, I can't remember right now. I, I know these birds. Not an ostrich. I'm not talking about Biden. We're talking about not a flamingo. The birds with the long feet. The uh, the, I can't I can't think of it right now. I was talking to my Tai Chi teacher. There's a style of martial art with it with a bird, that bird where he puts one leg in the mud and he lifts crane, 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 the, the white crane method. And he told me the white crane method is only taught in San Francisco which I didn't know. I always loved watching martial artists. I'm not a martial artist myself, but I, I'm not an auto racer either, but I love to watch auto racing, okay? I don't have to be what I enjoy watching. So I watch these martial artists, and one of my favorite styles is the white crane method because they, they copied the animal in how he stalks prey, and I was almost unmoving, or she's unmoving, standing there. you watch them fish, how long they have to wait for a little something or other to creep around in the mud. Uh, so... They watch and they watch and they watch and they're still. They don't move a feather, and then bing, they strike and they get the uh, the mollusk that's popping its head up out of the out of the out of the mud. So I love to watch that one. You know, that's what I'm trying to say to you. But that's the same thing in life. It's the same thing in business. It's the same thing in. I, I hate to say it on a prosaic level. I mean, if you're a young guy or a young girl, you know that you're using the white crane method or some other method in your romance. Everyone has to be very careful in what they do in this world and how you do it. Everything is done with a certain degree of uh, stealth. It's not done with with, uh, crudity, you know, or else you wind up like Weinstein. What did he get, 23 years today? Terrible. I think it's a little too harsh, by the way. What he actually did, do I really know? Do I really know? I have feelings about it. You know, he looked like a pig to me, but 23 years? Uh, No, sorry, all wrong. That's called overkill. And every man in America is now in danger that some gold digger can pop up out of the mud like a mollusk and say that, oh, he touched me in 1983. You know, there's not to diminish rape. Come on. I've said to you a thousand times, rape is the worst thing you could ever do on a, to a woman on the planet, uh, to anyone on the planet, but mainly to women in this case. So don't say I'm on the side of the pig. I am not on the other side of the uh, of the uh, of the uh, quotient here. But on the other hand, 23 years for these claimants, crazy. It's a part of the hysteria we are living through right now. But I'm getting far afield, and we still have the time for it. In the year 2013 or 2014, I, Michael Savage, was, I don't know how, I don't know why, I asked my son at the time to bring his boat up from Miami, and he did it for me. It cost a fortune, because already I thought I uh, was not too many years I was going to stay anymore in the business, and I wanted to have one big party for my publisher, my editor's, and my then brand new company, Cumulus Media, uh, when it was still owned by the previous owners and uh, all the, the great salespeople, and center, he brought the boat up and we docked it at the Chelsea Piers, which is in the, I don't know, in the 30s, or in the 20s rather, in Manhattan on the west side. And so we had the cocktail party and you, you stand on the stern of that boat and you could see stat, the Statue of Liberty from that boat. And I gave a little talk, which is only a few minutes long. Which Robert captured for us, Savage Comes Full Circle. Please listen. A hundred years ago, my grandfather arrived at Ellis Island in steerage. Many of you have a similar story. Maybe it was more more than a hundred years ago for you. I'm, I'm a first generation American, so I have one foot in the old world and one foot in the new world. So when I talk about immigration, I sort of know what I'm talking about. So last night, we went to dinner in Shunley with my agent, Ian. Come back, didn't say a word in the cab. Getting out, I'm paying the guy or whatever. He says, Are you Michael Savage? He was a Haitian immigrant. You, Michael Savage? I said, Yes. Now, I didn't know whether he'd hate me or love me, right? Haitian, black guy? He said, I love you, man. (laughs) He said, I'm like your grandfather. I'd rather have my arm cut off than take welfare. See, people don't understand how diverse diversity really is. They assume that it's fractured in this country, that Blacks think one way, Hispanics think another way, Whites think another way. But we have all these divisions within the segmentation of people, so this is the land of opportunity. Great grandfather of my son, Russ, my grandfather, Sam, who I call the astronaut of my family, it was as though he went to the moon. Look where he came, didn't speak a word of English, came here seven years ahead of the family, blah blah blah, earned money as a little tailor, sent it home, brought my grandmother, brought my father. And died at very young age, 47, heart attack. You know, that's how these they, they worked so hard. Whatever. Now, then my father died at 57. Never really made it big in the country. Had a little store, what, 12 blocks from here on Ludlow Street, an antique store. And I wrote about it uh, in Train Tracks. It was all in that book. So here I am, a hundred years later. His great grandson Russ Weiner owns this yacht. And I'm not here to boast. I'm just here to say it's the American dream. We have lived the American dream through extreme hard work. People don't know, he works 24-7. My wife works 24-7, I shouldn't say it. Companies don't run themselves, as you know, whether it's Westwood One, Hachette, someone's running those companies. If salesmen aren't producing, they're fired, right? I heard silence go through the room. <laughs> I mean, if my son ran westward, one half of you wouldn't be here, for example. No. <laughs> I'll be the bad guy tonight. He just fired half his staff in New York today. But anyway, the point is, we're living the dream. But what my grandfather fled and his great grandfather fled was communism, Bolshevism, revolution. What do we have in America today? We have 27 million dollar apartments on Jane Street. I took a bicycle ride today. I saw a building, it was a former nursing home, the painter told me. red brick building looked like a school. So I said, how much do these cost? Are they condos? He said, no man, they're for billionaires. How much are they? He said, $25 million for these two floors and they're putting $5 million into it. I said, what? He said, yes, that's what they're putting into this building. This is what's going on. We have two societies, right? Three maybe? High, low, God knows where the middle class is going to end up. But we have people who would like to stop that. We have people who would like to end it. We have people who like to take it away, turn the city back, turn the country back. And the answer is somewhere in the middle, isn't it? Isn't it somewhere in the middle where everyone can dip their beaks, as the Godfather said, everyone can feed a little bit in our country. But we don't want Bolshevism. We don't want communism, do we? But we have the same forces that operated in Russia are now operating in the West. And that's what we have to be cognizant of. And that's what my show is about. It's not the extreme element of screw the poor, let them eat cake, let them eat peanuts. The issue is don't take from those who have worked so hard, don't steal it from them, because without them there'd be nothing. We'd have one salami in a butcher store like they had in the Soviet Union. Remember what Russia was like when you were a kid? Many of you were over 50. Remember the images of the Soviet Union? People lining up around the block? One salami in the butcher store. Why? Why would the butcher invest in a piece of meat? Why would the farmer raise the cows if he couldn't sell it and make a profit? People don't even understand what the profit motive is. It's not all evil. It's become a dirty word, right? Hasn't capitalism become a dirty word? Is it a dirty word? The whole world runs on that. So what I'm saying is, thank God we have a capitalist system. It's not evil. It's good. And I'm glad we're here. I'm not going to get to the gecko thing of greed is good. I'm not going. (laughs) I didn't go there. All I said was, capitalism is good, investment is good, business is good, sales are good. (laughs) Sales are very good. (laughs) Ratings are even better. (laughs) And I want to thank you all for taking time out on a sweaty August day. It was a last-minute thing. My son's boat was in Fort Lauderdale, and I conclude with this. And we're supposed to go on a father and son vacation. We've never done it. We're both afraid of each other. We're both too hard-headed to spend any time in a tent.
2: Hunting moose. Fishing.
1: We don't like killing things. We like eating them not killing. So we were going to go to Alaska. Then we were going to go to Canada. Then we said, what the hell are we going to do in Alaska? Or what are we going to do in Canada? Well, there's always the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I mean, I don't know. So he said, Dad, let me send the boat up to New York. I said, okay, that was last week. I said, okay, if you do... I'll invite my friends from Radio Cumulus, publishers, Kate, Hachette, and a few other people. And here you are, and you came on the last minute. It's a hot night. I'm sure you'd rather be getting ready for your Labor Day weekend. I want to thank you all for coming to join us here, and may we all enjoy the success that we deserve. Thank you very much for being here.
0: Thank you.
1: It was a good speech, Michael. Very good, Michael. I'm talking to myself. I I like the speech. I thought it had everything in it, and I thought it was a very optimistic speech. But interestingly enough, that was 2014 or 2013, probably 14, when who was president? Obama. And already we saw the coming Civil War. Already we saw the earmarks of what Bernie is representing. He's the steroid version of Obama's uh, virus. And uh, Bernie was knocked out of the box in Michigan by the party not by the party but by the people the people didn't like him they don't like the bum from new york the commie hater so they want the glue horse to run now you're going to ask can the glue horse really be trump i don't think so i think trump will mop the floor with the glue horse incidentally Uh, on the other hand bernie's not gone he didn't concede today He got up there and he attacked Biden more viciously than he did Trump. This shows you what kind of guy he is. And he's a true communist revolutionary. He's exactly uh, like Trotsky, almost identical to Trotsky. Internal party fighting is what he represented today, that he would tear apart his own party in order to advance himself. This is who he has been all of his life, Bernie. And uh, he is not the American dream. He doesn't represent the American dream. Uh, We had a show today called The American Dream is Alive, where I interviewed Russ, who sold Rockstar Energy Drink. It was announced today to PepsiCo. Great story. Big story. I I heard that it was the single largest sale of a non-alcoholic beverage company in the history of commerce in the world. Can you believe that? The single largest sale of a non-alcoholic beverage in the history of commerce. I, I can't actually wrap my mind around that right now what that really means i mean there's a show right now on history channel it's been going on for weeks on the american business world you know they show the early guggenheim and uh, the rockefellers and the people who built hershey's and the people who built various companies let me tell you something this is not so different and to be part of it even in a small way as i am is is pretty amazing to me because i am inherently not a business type i never have been I never will be. I've always made a reasonable living, but I've worked my behind off. Or shall I say, worked my heart out? That would be a little too graphic. And, uh, you know, there it is. That's the next story. The American dream is still alive, but Bernie represents the Soviet dream. And to him, the Soviet dream is very much alive.
0: Home of borders, language, culture, the savage nation. The stated mortality overall of this,
2: when you look at all the data, including China, is about 3%. It first started off as 2 and now 3 I think if you count all the cases of minimally symptomatic or asymptomatic infection, that probably brings the mortality rate down to somewhere around 1%, which means it is 10 times more lethal than the seasonal flu. I think that's something that people can get their arms around and understand.
1: Uh, Did you hear that last statement? That is by Dr. Anthony Fauci, who, by the way, I think is doing a good job, actually a great job on this. I I think he should be a little less out there. But nevertheless, forget that. He says the coronavirus is 10 times more lethal than the seasonal flu. So again, let's go back to the first line of today's show. Is the corona outbreak as bad as people fear? Uh, Yes and no. And also, there are two epidemics right now. There's the real epidemic of the virus, and then there's the epidemic of panic. Somewhere in between is the reality. The president is going to be giving a speech tonight at prime time in order to calm the people and tell us what plans he has to control as best he can this particular situation, uh, meaning this virus. And, and incidentally, I, I want to be very, very clear on this. And I want to be very, very clear again, as I was at the beginning of the show. I think he's doing a great job. He's doing the best job anyone possibly can do uh, without being a Pollyanna about it. He is trying to contain uh, this epidemic. He cannot lock the entire nation down. He cannot quarantine the entire country. And for vermin like Schumer to come out and attack the president on this issue is, is criminal, in my opinion. If the Democrats know so much about the control of this particular virus then why aren't they doing something about it? It's sickening to hear Schumer do this. The president will speak tonight. Hopefully he will calm the markets again. But on the other hand, my friends, uh, microbes do not discriminate. They cannot be talked to. They cannot be reasoned with.